0: Right. Hey, can you just uh, look to someone next to you and say, I'm glad you're here today. Uh, can you look to them and say, thanks for coming, glad that you're here. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who may, one, um, be new to us here at Harvest, I want to thank you so much for being here and for being part of what God is doing uh, I would love the opportunity, uh, and we would love the opportunity as a church to get to know a little bit more of who you are and of your story. If you'd like to uh, fill out your information, give us your contact, uh, we'd love to just, hey, say hello, and then if you choose to respond to us, you can do that, but we'd love to at least have the opportunity to, to welcome you and invite you in that way, and um, at the end of service, I'll be standing at the door with our speaker. Uh, would love to talk, and uh, if you want to grab coffee at some point or or, or, or lunch or something. That would be uh, uh, absolute delight and pleasure. We're in the middle of a weekend called R&R. We do this every Labor Day weekend. It's, uh, R&R stands for Renewal and Retreat. And so the renewal part, um, actually renewal spiritually happens all the time, wherever God is present. But um, the renewal services, which happen on Friday and Saturday nights, um, are done. This is our Sunday worship. This is kind of like the the, the shifting point. And then uh, tonight and tomorrow, or, uh, starting at about 2.45 this afternoon, until tomorrow as long as we can go. Um, but tentatively ending around lunchtime we'll be having a retreat for our the adults of harvest Um, if you have not yet signed up for it and you'd like to then um, there'll be registration tables set up in the back of uh, this sanctuary uh, as soon as we're done with worship service so please do uh, if you have any questions, you could ask at the table. Uh, we'd love to see as many people come as possible. And, and, and this is why. I know that uh, God is going to bless it. he's going to meet us. We're going to have a great time together as a family of God, uh, worshiping the Lord and hearing his word and uh, just doing a lot of activities as well as worship and, and praying. Uh, but there's a sense in which... Like, I really feel in my bones that God really wants us to do this, especially this weekend. I was looking at my phone, and uh, like many of you, we've been tracking this hurricane, and, and every day um, since Wednesday, a couple of things that I've been taking uh, screenshots of is, one, the projected path of Hurricane Dorian 1, and two, the most likely time that tropical storm force winds will hit our area. And so I've been taking screenshots of all of these things, and by Wednesday, as of last Wednesday, um, we're supposed to start feeling these right now. Like uh, at 2 p.m. today, hurricane was supposed to come through here. And uh, I know many of us have been praying, and, and it's not just us. I'm sure a lot of people um, who have a lot at stake have been praying uh, for the hurricane to move away. Uh, from us. And and, uh, with each update, you know, there would be some moments where there was a little bit of movement, not much movement, more movement. Um, But here we are. It's 11 o'clock and we're here and we're ready to worship the Lord God. This is the first reason I just really feel like Always God wants us to meet with him, but I have this sense in which, man, this is, uh, this is, he's going to receive honor and glory, and the things that he is calling us to do are things that we're, we're going to do. We're not, hey, God, move this away so that we can play flag football or something like that. It's like, hey, would you do this in order that we can worship you and really uh, love one another in a deeper way. But the second reason is because um, we have a guest speaker, um, a dear brother of mine, and, and if simply for the fact that we could hang out, um, this would be an awesome weekend. But he's been speaking the word of God to us, and it's been powerful, and it's been really uh, renewing in the hearts of, of many of us uh, personally. Uh, it has been really, really sweet for me. Uh, but his initial flight was supposed to leave at 4 o'clock tomorrow, uh, and then the airport said we're shutting down at 2 a.m. Monday morning, which would be like 14 hours, 15 hours from now, and so we had to scramble and change flights, and thankfully um, United Airlines was kind enough to uh, let there be no fees in doing that. So flight changed three times, and then last night after our renewal service, they said, uh, Orlando Airport's going to open up after all, and so um, what Pastor Sam had done, he'd recorded a couple messages on videotape for us to hear and play on the screen, which, you know, we're trying to make the best of it, but you know that's not necessarily ideal, and so um, when the airport opened up, he kind of uh, spoke with United Airlines. They said, we've got another flight you can get out so that you can be with uh, the people of Harvest uh, throughout the weekend. Uh, too long didn't read story is we believe that God is here uh, for his purposes and that he wants us to worship Him together, Uh, and I'm excited. I'm so excited because I know that as the people of God pray and seek Him, He wants to meet with us. Pastor Sam is our guest speaker. He's been ministering the Word of God. Um, He's married to Alice, who is a licensed counselor up in Virginia. He's a father to Olivia and Natalie, two uh, high school girls in Virginia who are um, just really lovely, lovely young ladies who are uh, role models, I think, for many people uh, of their of their age. Uh, He's a pastor, the executive pastor at Christ Central Presbyterian Church in Virginia and has really been a, a labor of love and, and sacrificial devotion. Has been uh, he, He's just had a whatever-it-takes attitude, whatever it takes to make himself available to preach, to teach, and to share the word. And he's been doing it with, uh, yeah, with such a uh, not only a heart but a conviction and the power of God. And he's going to do it again, and the Lord is going to speak through him. So let's open our ears, and let's give a hand as Pastor Sam comes to share the word with us.
1: Good morning, Harvests, and goodbye, Dorian, amen. It, it truly has been, I remember when Pastor D.L. and I were speaking earlier, um, before I flew down, uh, <laughs> he said, we need to have a missional mentality, and actually, after that point, I said, I'm going to treat this weekend like a missions trip, and it surely has been nothing short of it, in that on missions trips, if you've been on, uh, on a missions trip, nothing goes as planned. And at the same time, it goes better than planned, amen? Is they're God's plans. And so I believe it in, in God's uh, sovereign and loving wisdom. I'm here, still here, and I'll be with you guys tonight and tomorrow. And, uh, um, and again, there's many people up north. Uh, I know my family's praying. I know the pastoral staff at our church are praying for your church and for our time together. And I really believe, as uh, DL, Pastor D.L. Sh- has shared, that God desires to meet with us in his word, in, amongst his people today, and hopefully, I, 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 if, if God can move a hurricane, can some of us move our schedules, reschedule some things to join us tonight to see what God has in store for you and for me? Um, let's pray together, friends, and then we'll go into this time in God's word. Father, we love you. We bless you. You are truly so good that knowing you is the greatest thing. And we only know you because you pursued us by sending Jesus for us. And because he has been sent for us, you desire to speak to us and reveal yourself to us and through us. And I pray that in this time, from young to old, from new to those who have called Harvest Home for decades, that you would speak afresh. Give us a word. Show us how you are a God who sees, who cares, who speaks, who moves, and who loves to change, heal, and transform lives for our good and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would turn with me to Acts chapter 4, and let me just say before I read the text, uh, I really have felt home at home the last, uh, well, ever since I've been visiting and speaking at Harvest over the years. Uh, even Jason, uh, my brother, said to this to me uh, right before service. He says, you feel like you're very comfortable here. And uh, and I think that's right, because I feel like I'm at home here. So even though I'm a guest speaker, uh, I'm a visitor to your church, but as your brother uh, in Christ and, uh, and a partner in the gospel, uh, let's go into God's Word and see what God has prepared for you Um, So Acts chapter 4, and it says in the back that uh, the text that I uh, picked was starting in verse 13, but I'm just going to read from verse 5. It just gives a lot more color and commentary and and background, helps us to appreciate verses 13 through 31. It's a fast-moving narrative. It's a fast-paced story, so if you would uh, start with me in verse 5, I'll read it aloud, and then we'll uh, unpack this passage. On the next day the next day. What's, what, what's going on? Why does the author say the next day? Because actually in verse 4, this is what happened. It said that Peter had preached the first message that birthed the New Testament church, and it says that about 5,000 men came to faith, and they, they estimated because it was a 5,000 men who came to faith, at least about 10,000 people uh, came to Christ. The family of God was started in Jerusalem. So on the next day, let's read on with verse 5. Um, Their the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest. Again, he's like the highest official in the land, spiritual official in the land. And Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But, but Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And, they had, and when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them, Because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Verse 23 When they were released, they went to their friends and reported to what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, and through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why do the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The king, uh, kings of earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in the city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan have predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And then, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Amen. I live about 30 minutes outside of D.C., and when you live that close to our nation's capital, there's a lot of... People in my community, even in our church, who work for the federal government. There's actually uh, there's one member of our church who works on the Secret Service detail for President Trump, and so often he is sometimes on short notice, traveling all over the world. And oftentimes, when the president or anyone of uh, 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 who's a head of state or vice president travels around the world, especially around the world, that there's actually a a Secret Service uh, detail that goes in advance, days or weeks in advance, to make sure they cover all the blind spots and potential threats, because they want to anticipate wherever the president might be, all the contingencies uh, for any emergency. So this threw off the Secret Service several years ago when President Obama decided to take a break from protocol, and he took an unannounced walk along the National Mall, if you've ever been, it's a large green area in the the heart of our capital, on his way to a meeting at the Department of Interior. So he didn't didn't really announce it in advance, the Secret Service couldn't plan, so they just came to his side and and walked alongside him as he took time to stop and meet and talk with tourists, shopkeepers, parents and children, giving them, I didn't realize they even had these things, but uh, they have something called White House M&M's. I guess the Secret Service must have pockets full of them because he was just handing them out to children. And he was taking pictures. People were taking videos with him. And these are some of the comments that well, they heard. Are you real? They kind of, Are you an imposter, impersonator? And, and as one person was taking a picture with President Obama, she says, no one's going to believe this. They're going to think this is like a wax figure. No way. I'm standing next to the president. What these reactions reveal is that no one along the National Mall expected to see or meet President the President of the United States even though his office and residence was just a few blocks away. I share this story because I wonder if some of us in this room believe the same about God. Whether it's this morning or in your everyday lives, or whatever you're going through today, that you have a hard time believing that there's a God who is near, who cares, who sees, and wants to be a part of our daily lives, especially if you are in a time and a season of intense suffering, struggle, and pain. What difference would his presence what difference would his presence make in our lives, in our families, in our schools, on our teams, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, if and in our church at Harvest? If God's presence was always showing up, oftentimes when we least expect it, but in, and His power was following as a result. Early in this chapter. The New Testament church was, was born and birthed in chapter 2, but Peter and John did something that seemed very ordinary, but God used an ordinary situation for extraordinary purposes. They were just on their way to the temple to pray. They saw a crippled lame man begging beside the side of the road, and, and the lame man asked for some kind of a change or some, any kind of, anything that they could offer him. And Peter said these famous words, silver and gold, I have none, but what I have I will give you in the name of Jesus, uh, in the name of Jesus, walk. And the man walked and he leaped and, and he danced and it caused such a stir that the, 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 it took over the temple, which anything that happened in the temple, it took over the city. They couldn't believe that these two men healed someone over 40 years old who finally could walk, dance, and leap. And as a result, like I read earlier, over 10,000 people put their faith in Christ as a result. This is the summary of my my message, and I believe the, the message I want to just impart to you today. Here it is, one sentence. Believing prayer unleashes God's power upon God's people. Believing prayer, believing in a God who wants to meet, wants to show up, wants to interrupt our lives by his power, with his agenda, with his grace, his goodness, his healing. It unleashes God's power upon God's people. And let me walk through, just give you a preview of the four ways I believe there are four evidences of God's power being present in our lives based on this text. Number, I'll give you the four and then we'll walk through them. That there is an uncommon courage for Christ. I believe there's like a fill-in-the-blank in your handout or your bulletin. Number one, it's an uncommon courage for Christ. Number two, it's an unashamed affiliation with Christ. It's undivided devotion to Christ and an unwavering dependence upon Christ. Number one, the first evidence that God's power is evident in and around your life is this. It's an uncommon courage for Christ. You see, the Jewish authorities I read earlier, they had no problem with the church going deeper. The 120 that started the church back in Acts chapter 1, yes, they increased it by, by a couple of thousand in Acts chapter 2. But then their main concern is they, they, they were fine with the church just kind of going deep. But they, they were concerned and they did not want the church to go wide. They didn't want more people to come to know Christ, experience his goodness, his healing, his power, his promises, and that's why they intervened. They, they, they realized they had, to, they, had to, they had to try to disrupt and stop what God was doing. They thought they could. That's why in verse 8, it, they asked this question because they couldn't deny something was happening. Verse 8, by what power or by what name do you do this? And then Peter, courageously, he's facing the supreme court of his land. He does something in verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, he responds to them. That's how he was able to be courageous. You and I cannot be courageous on our own. There's a limit to our courage. But when the Spirit fills us, based on the prayers and and the promises of God's people and God's word... We have uncommon courage. And then uh, some of you are saying, how did he do this? Well, Jesus actually predicted it. He prophesied in the Gospels in Luke chapter 12 almost exactly what was going on here. Luke chapter 12, verses 11 through 12, and Jesus says these words, and when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour, what you ought to say. Friends, brothers and sisters, here's a, good, here's a spiritual principle worth hanging your life upon. Behind every command in the Bible is a promise from God. Whenever God invites you or calls you to do something for him and in his name, the promise is this, that you will not have to do it on your own with your own resources. The question is, not so much will you obey, but will you believe and trust that God will supply the resources and the power to actually be courageous for him? Corrie ten Boom, a well-known Dutch uh, Holocaust survivor, a believer, she and her family helped many Jews escape escape the Nazis during World War II. But she was like any one of us. She's, as a little girl, she was worried that, about what she would do when she ha, would have to stand against the Germans if she was confronted and threatened. She felt weak. She thought uh, she was. Uh, she, she was so anxious about uh, how how she'll respond. And her father picked up on this. Oh wow! And her father used this illustration. He asked uh, Corey, since he, he said this, Corey, when we're about to take a journey on a train, do I give you your train ticket? Three weeks in advance, or just about just before you're about to board. Corey said, "Oh, of course, always right before I get on the train." And her father said, "Similarly, God will give you special strength that you need to be strong in the face of death, just when you need it, not before." Brothers and sisters. As God puts you, and I guess I believe in this age, in this time in our country's history, in our culture, there's going to be growing opposition. There's going to be growing criticism of anyone who proclaims to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And when those opportunities come, my question to you is, are you going to rely on yourself or rely and ask the Holy Spirit to empower you to have that courage? Pray for the filling of the Spirit, not just so that you would get better grades, that you'd be a better husband or wife, and a, and a son or a daughter, or a business leader, or or even a, a leader within the church, which again, you need to just you need to pray for those things, but also pray for the spirit to give you courage to speak up when God wants us to witness and testify to his name. Especially if you're going through trials, hardships, and difficult seasons of life. Because in those moments, brothers and sisters, please look up and don't miss this. When you are suffering the most, that's when people believe what you say the most. Is there going to be praise? Is there going to be an opportunity for you to declare your hope Not in this world or your circumstance, but the God who is the God over this world. The God who overcame the world by his son's death and resurrection. Uncommon courage for Christ. Second, uh, uh, evidence of God's power being present in and over our lives. Number one, uncommon courage for Christ. Secondly, it's unashamed affiliation with Christ. What amazed the Jewish leaders is not just what Peter and John said to them or how they, uh, how they spoke to these leaders, but they were, they were just amazed at who was standing before them and speaking with such courage and conviction. It, look with me in verse 13. That's what it says. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated common men, and they were astonished. Uneducated and common doesn't mean that they were illiterate that they were unintelligent, but literally that word common means unprofessional, that they hadn't received advanced theological training through the rabbinic schools, that they were speaking about the word of God and proclaiming the goodness of God in front of those who were supposed to be the the head honchos, the leaders, the experts in this field. They're saying, wow, these men are speaking with authority and courage and conviction. Where is this coming from? But they also connected... They also answered the same question, I believe, that was raised in their hearts. Because it actually happens in verse 13. Look there with me. At the end, they recognized, wait a second, these are common, uneducated men, but they had been with Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the most important characteristic to having kind of this courage to be unashamed, to be affiliated with Christ It's not so much, are you ready with the right answers? Are you smart enough? Are you quick enough? Have you read enough? It's, are you with Jesus? Is Jesus real to you? Is he truly your personal savior and your friend? Does he make all the difference in your life, in your thoughts, attitudes, actions, decisions, and reactions? Because when people notice that you are unashamed to affiliate with Christ... Actually, it draws them to Christ, but it comes from you being with Jesus. Now, how, how, how do we spread that fragrance or the aroma of Christ? Uh, I love Korean barbecue. Can I get an amen? That might be the first. That's the loudest amen I got all weekend, okay? Now, the downside, I don't think it's a downside, but if to my wife it's a downside. Whenever you go to Korean barbecue or any kind of barbecue where you're grilling meat right in your face, how do you smell afterwards? You smell like barbecue, and I say hallelujah. When you stuff your mouth with garlic, how do you smell? Like garlic. The people who see me after the barbecue, after the meal, they know what I've eaten and where I've eaten because of how I smell. The people in your lives will know who matters to you most, what matters to you most, Uh, not so much because of what you just say and prepare, it's just that there's an aroma, a fragrance, of being in love with Jesus so much that they can't deny Jesus is real. It's being with Jesus, one of the most powerful ways of evangelizing is just smelling like, thinking like, Treating people like Jesus would. And how do we do that? We spend time with him and his word and with his people and living by faith by his spirit. And that leads to an unashamed affiliation with Christ. I remember my freshman year of college. Again, when you enter a new season of life, a social scene, a social circle of life, you're always, of course, you're mindful of what people think of you. And you're trying to establish kind of your identity. Uh, God, in His wisdom, had me room with a football player at the school. I was—it uh, was a smaller school. Okay, I know down here football's big. Okay, and I know that's that's almost uh, that's almost a religion down here, like in Texas they say. But I room with a running back from uh, uh, from the school that I attended. It's a small D1, AA school. But you know, uh, Eric, my roommate. Of course, when you're a running back, that means you're friends with the offensive line, and so all of his buddies. Okay. Eric was my height, okay, but his buddies were like 6'3", 6'4", 250, 275 pounds. Let me just tell you, I felt safe when I was hanging out with his buddies. That's another story for another time. But, what, you know, and, and, and I know Pastor Dia loves giving nicknames, but when you're a part of a sports team, they have like, like really rough and tumble nicknames for each other. Ox, Meathead, Hudak, you know. <laughs> Meathead, that was his nickname had nothing to do with his name. He just looked like it anyway. But I remember Ox one time, my freshman year, asking me a very plain question. Sam, what matters to you most? And I copped out. I said the safe answer. While true, it's safe. And I'm a follower of Christ. I believe in Christ. But I just said, you know, my family, uh, being a good person, making a difference, treating people with kindness. He's like, okay, cool. But after I'd shared that with him, I call it spiritual indigestion. You ever have that? Where you didn't eat anything, but just something is off. I believe it is called the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I knew I'd lied to him. Because all those things are important, but they're not the most important. So I went down the hallway just a few minutes later, knocked on his door, and I said, Ox, I have to be straight with you. I left something out. The most important thing in my life is my relationship with God. And then everything else follows. And you know what he said to me? He looked up from his book that he was studying, and he said, I might never forget it. He said, okay. Friends, what's the worst thing someone can call you if you declare your affiliation with Christ? The worst thing they can call you is a Christian. But the good news is that's who you are. Four years later, three years later, I got to lead a Bible study in a fraternity that Ox got to be a part of because they were watching. He says that's what he is, okay, and his life and his decisions and his priorities, values, hopefully are consistent. So I was able to lead a Bible study. Again, Eric, my roommate, became the president of this fraternity, and I asked him my senior year, my second semester, Eric, would you mind if I bring a bunch of kimchi bowls? And I got them hooked on kimchi bowls on Ramyun, okay? Shin Lamyun. Do you mind if I bring a couple of cases, and I'm just going to share just the difference that my, my, my faith makes in my life? For four weeks, once a week, these guys devoured all these kimchi bowls and, and Shin Lamyun, but I just shared a spiritual principle from the Word of God. I wasn't unashamed because the worst thing they could call me is who I really am, a child of God, beloved God by God, a Christian. And I believe that's really a work of the Holy Spirit because of many people praying and me believing that God, Jesus himself, was interceding for me. The the third evidence of God's power being present in your life is, uh, again, uh, number one, uncommon courage, unashamed affiliation, and third, undivided devotion to Christ. After being imprisoned, uh, Peter and John were ex- uh, explicit, uh, imprisoned and questioned. They were explicitly threatened to stop speaking and preaching and sharing about Jesus. That's what it says in verses 17 through 18. So they charged them and, and called them and charged them no longer. Don't speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And then verse 21, it says they further threatened them. And I believe they, not, they took it up a notch. And I'm sure the word threaten implies more physical harm, not just giving a verbal warning. But Peter and John didn't say, okay, okay, and then do the opposite, which some of us would say, hey, there's no problem with that. They say, okay, 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 but then disobey. They do something different. Look with me in verses 19 through 20. They answered them back. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, that you, that's for you to judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. In other words, they're saying our devotion and commitment is clear and public, no matter the cost. How can they? Uh, how can they be willing to, to to declare their undivided devotion to Christ? It's because Jesus was not just a Sunday uh, devotion, it was not just a weekend devotion, a seasonal devotion, Jesus was everything because their identity was in Christ. Because when we are assured of our security in the gospel and confident in our identity in Christ, ultimately living for eternity, we are released from living for fear and empowered to live by faith. And, and share and steward our time, talent, treasure, and our temple to advance the kingdom and to grow deeper in the gospel. Uh, David Platt, a pastor up in our area, many of you, some of you might have heard of him. He's written some great books, uh, Radical. He started a pretty uh, revolutionary kind of movement and a thought called Radical, but it's not revolutionary, it's just based on the word of God, okay? <laughs> but in his book, Radical Together, he writes about an overseas church leader in a communist country. Uh, in his late 60s, named Dominic. Dominic was a pastor of a relatively small house church for most of his life, and he, his, his, his life was all about, he had a passion for telling people about Christ. But the Communist Council were opposed to it, they were concerned about it, so they were, they, they called him in for an integ- interrogation for questioning about his work, his ministry. And so when Dominic came into the uh, interrogation room, the questioning room, he, he had a large rock in his hand, and then he set it on the table before his examiners. And one of the men who was going to be his questioners and interrogators said, Well, why did you bring this rock with you? Dominic replied, I just want to get something straight. Before you start questioning me, I want you to know something. If you try to stop me from telling people about the greatness of Jesus Christ, then this rock is going to start speaking. For me, You see, Dominic believed the word of God. He believed what it said in Luke chapter 19 when Jesus said if the disciples didn't proclaim his glory that the rocks or the stones would cry out. The communist leaders obviously had no idea what Dominic was talking about. They conferred with one another. They, uh, they decided he was out of his mind and they released him without any further questioning. Yes, in their minds... He was out of his mind, but Dominic, he was in Christ, so he had the mind of Christ, and he had the devotion for Christ because of Christ's ultimate devotion to go to the cross for him. Brothers and sisters, our motive, means, and measure to live by faith, no matter the consequence, the cost, and the inconveniences, must be based on what Jesus has already done, and our response to his cross and his death and resurrection. You see, the gospel alone, it it alone frees us to have this undivided attention, undivided devotion with affiliation and courage because we don't need other people's validation, uh, their approval, their declaration of our worth based on what they think or say or act towards us, but it's in accordance to what Jesus has already done for us and how much he loves us, he's with us, and he desires to reveal himself through us. Uh, There was a season in my life uh, not too long ago where I was unemployed for nine months. And it was difficult because I had two young kids at home. I was in between uh, ministry positions. And for nine months, uh, God provided through my wife's counseling practice and different opportunities for for me to, to speak. But I didn't have a church to my name. So yes, I was ordained, I was a pastor, but I didn't have a church. And actually that brought great insecurity for me. Uh, one of my friends who uh, worked in D.C., uh, he actually worked for a think tank uh, in the, in, uh, in, on K Street, a well-known lobby street in D.C., and he invited a number of Korean-American, second-gen, 1.5, third-generational leaders to come and give a symposium, like a, a, con- a mini-conference for emerging leaders, for high school students and college students. and And I was... I was really, into, I'll be honest, I was totally intimidated by the list of those who were invited. These were journalists. These were people on TV, professors at well-known universities, uh, uh, leaders in their medical field, law field, uh, and I knew a couple of them from as, as, as friends, and I totally felt out of place. For one, I was unemployed. And part of whenever you speak, they often ask you for a bio. And I'll be honest with you, I really wanted to pad my bio and list all, you know, getting a green belt in taekwondo, you know, winning an art award in second grade, you know, uh, winning intramural volleyball in college. I just want because everybody had all these uh, credentials and accomplishments and accolades and, and, and places they've been published. And, and so it was the shortest biography I've ever submitted. I have served the church for this many years. I have a, I'm married to Alice and the girls. That's it. And that night, I, I don't do this often, but I, I, I was anxious all night the night before the speaking invitation. I was supposed to give a, an address during the lunch to the entire group. Not just to the students, but even to the other panel of speakers. And, uh, and the, toss and turn. That was probably the least sleep I ever got before I had to speak somewhere. Toss and turn. Toss and turn. Because I was so insecure. Who am I to speak and share anything uh, in front of these people? I remember driving to DC, still very anxious, nervous. Um, I remember getting into the the, uh, the elevator on the ground floor of that building, and as we're going up to the top floor, I still felt tense and nervous, and, and so like, wh- wh- who am I? What do I-, I? don't belong here. But just I I, never, I won't forget this. Just as the elevator doors were opening, on the floor I was supposed to get off, I really believe the Spirit of God. Kind of over. <laughs> Uh, uh, he just took over and he helped me to offer a simple prayer jesus i belong to you and that's enough i belong to you it's enough my identity is not what's on that bio and my identity is not based on what other people think Even the people uh, who I love and care about, it's based on what Jesus has done and what he thinks about me. And according to God's word, brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you something that you may have never heard or you don't hear enough. You are beloved. And with you, God is well pleased because of Christ. And that drives and roots our devotion to be undivided for Christ. Fourthly and lastly... The fourth evidence of God's power being present in and through our lives is an unwavering dependence upon Christ. Unwavering dependence upon Christ. Now, when the apostles, after they're being warned, after they're threatened, what is their reaction after they've been released back into uh, uh, the public? Look with me in verse 23. It says what they did. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. Harvest, after being released and being threatened, they went to church. And again, in the Bible, church is not a geographical location. never mentions a building. It's the people of God gathered under the banner of Christ's love. They went to church. Most likely, they went to their house church, because the New Testament church was full of house churches. It was comprised of house churches. That's how, uh, and someone said this, and, and house churches, I can't tell you how important and transformational it is. I remember hearing one pastor say this. When you read the Gospels, Jesus was either going to a house, doing ministry in a house, or leaving a house. There's something about the family and the intimacy of a home where lives are changed. And so they went to their friends. Literally, the, the word friends with phrase friends is to their own, to their family, to their relatives. And they immediately did what in verse 24? They lifted their voices to God in prayer. This is fellowship at its best. Yes, when we think of fellowship, it's hiking trips, bowling nights, birthday parties, um, you know, all that is fellowship. But fellowship at its best, literally the word fellowship means partnership. It's giving of something that costs you something. That's why they gave to one another financially, but also the cost of praying, interceding, celebrating, and seeking God's face together. The believing prayer that they were asking of God to show and demonstrate his power upon his people. Fellowship at at, at its best is prayer and seeking God's face. And they did not go. You know what's interesting? In the early church, yes, they had the apostles. They had the Peter, James, and John, and others who were with Jesus, the, the church leaders. But they did not go to the other apostles. They went to their friends. Brothers and sisters, don't wait until Pastor D.L. can meet with you to ask for prayer. You don't need to see someone in office or with certain kind of gifting or calling or talent Every believer that God has placed around you, they can come together with you and rally behind the things that are on your heart. The church is not just a gathering of leaders. It's a gathering of believers. Let me say that again. The church is not just a gathering of leaders. While it is about equipping Christ-centered leaders, but it's about the gathering of believers who... Seek God's face together to become Christ-centered leaders to transform the world. Let's pray. Harvest, you are a praying church. Keep praying. Don't think you've arrived because there's still so many people in the Orlando area, Central Florida area, and people around the world who have yet to hear the name of Jesus. Let's pray for the gift of bold proclamation. Let's pray for God's merciful hand to stretch out to heal people within our community and within our spheres and circles of life. And let's pray for Christ's name to be honored and exalted through signs and wonders. I really believe that this Dorian tracking, I'm sure there's meteorologists who, you know, because I saw the spaghetti models. I ain't no meteorologist but all of them are like, it's going right through central, okay, it's gonna go a little further south, but all the spaghetti models are going this way. I, I, I wonder if there's a Christian meteorologist somewhere who is in all these meetings, they're going over their charts and the data and looking at how in the world were, were we so off? How did it go from here to here? Signs and wonders pointing to a God who is active, concerned, Listening and responding to prayer, amen. I close with this Francis Chan. Many of you might have seen him on a video, read some of his stuff, can't commend him enough. He really is a role model for this generation. He wrote this as he reflected on this passage in Acts that I just read to you. Let me just, can I just read to you as I close his reflections on this passage? He says this. I've realized at times that I really experienced the Holy Spirit when I was living by faith and doing things that were uncomfortable for me. I've often spoken about Jesus saying, uh, uh, Jesus says this, I'm going to send you a uh, a comforter, but Francis Chan says, but why do we need a comforter if we're comfortable? You might be thinking, I don't really sense the presence of God Jesus says, I will always be, I will be with you always. And some of us in this room even saying, but I don't feel him here. But Jesus, whenever he makes these promises, often it's connected to missional, sacrificial, evangelistic living. Matthew chapter 28, it says, as we go out and make disciples, as we go out and baptize people, as we teach people to obey everything that God commanded, Jesus there declares, I will be with you even to the end of the age. That's the context. It's not, I will be with you as you go to the movie theater and watch three movies in a row. Do you need Jesus to watch three movies in a row? No, it's comfortable. But his promises of his presence and comfort come when we step out of our comfort zones so that we can represent and declare to others who don't know, don't have, have not heard or experienced the goodness of God through Christ. That's where he says, I'll be with you. And then Francis Chan goes on to say, we all want to experience the Holy Spirit, but we have to remember why the Holy Spirit was given. And he quotes Acts chapter one, verse eight says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And he he closes his comments by saying this, if you've never really experienced the Holy Spirit Ask yourself this question. Am I out there making disciples? Am I out there being a witness? I see in scripture that when people are when, when people are obeying God's commands and living out the Great Commission, they experience the Holy Spirit of God. Harvest, God is at midst, in, in your midst. He is at work. Harvest, let's not settle for where we are, but let's ask and look to God to where we can go in his name through believing prayer, through fellowship that is grounded and driven by believing prayer, bold prayers, big prayers that only God can answer and we would fail unless God is in it. Let's pray together, amen. Father, I thank you so much for this church, this body. Again, so many people who are so precious to me, and I know all of them are precious to you. So precious enough that you sent Jesus to die for them, for their sins, for their shame, uh, for any any feeling of loneliness, isolation, not belonging. Jesus, you died for them. And if you would go so far to die for them, God, I have to believe you have so much more for them than just for them to receive and believe and to stay put. I pray, God, right now in this room, would you raise up future house church shepherds? Would you raise up young people, teenagers, middle schoolers, who in their classrooms, on the ball field, in their musical groups, are not ashamed to to have the aroma of Christ and the fragrance of Jesus, what sticks out the most about them. I pray for those who are still new to this church and wondering, is this the church that I want to invest my time, talent, treasure, and temple? And I pray that they will sense that you are moving, not them just closer together, which is so important, but that you're moving them out. That the gospel is not just for them, but it's supposed to go through them. So I pray for harvest. And right now, as I before I pray, I'm going to ask each of you to think and pray and visualize one person, one person that you would love to to just say, go back to and say, you know what, like I did to my friend Ox, um, there's something important about me that you may not know, but I want you to know because you care. I care about you. You matter to me. Jesus is the reason for everything in my life. I want you to think and pray and visualize that person and I want you to pray for them. Pray for an opportunity this week for them to cross your path and you to cross theirs. And for God to give you that courage, that unashamed affiliation with your Savior, an undivided devotion to Christ no matter the consequence or the cost, and an unwavering dependence upon His Spirit to do in you and through you what only the Spirit of God can do. Can you pray for that person right now? Maybe it's a parent. You say, no way. There's no way my mom or dad can come to know Christ. Really? You came to know Christ. You deserve to know Christ more than them? Absolutely not. No one does. Can you pray for your brother or your sister? Biological, but you pray it will be spiritual. And again, I wonder if there's some people in this room who have God's pressing on their heart to really. Go deeper at the church in terms of serving so that the church can go wider in spreading the gospel. And if that's you, maybe God's pressing upon you. This is the season. This is the hour. This is the time for you to, again, help equip Christ-centered leaders to transform the world. If that's you, would you pray as you wrestle and submit that to God? Just take a moment to pray for that person, for that decision, that conviction then I'll close us in just just a few seconds here. Just take a moment to pray, shall we? And if you can't pray, just say that name out to Christ. Mom, dad, brother, sister, friend. Just say the name, Jesus. Say the name. Proclaim, God, would you use me, use others to bring this person to yourself? God, Father, I thank you so much on a given Sunday. You show up, but thank you that you're not limited to or bound to a, a time, a service, uh, an agenda. You are God overall. You are the Lord of the universe. God, you want to show up on Monday morning, Tuesday afternoon, Thursday, Thursday night, Saturday morning. You want to you show up in our boardrooms. You want to show, show up in our living rooms. You want to show up uh, on the sports field. You want in our classrooms. God, you want to show up everywhere because you're God. And you have so much in store, so much more of yourself to reveal to us and through us. God, would just show up and make yourself known and receive glory as more and more people come to know you and deepen their trust in you, especially at this church, at this beautiful body called Harvest. I pray that the next time I come back, I'll, just, I'll be celebrating and rejoicing and giving you greater honor for what you alone can accomplish by your power upon your people. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.